Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, my name is Emma Makuthi. Uh, married to Christopher Makuthi. He really wanted to be here this morning, but one of our girls, Sahab Tehila here and Ethan with me, but one of the other girls who is right in the middle had a netball thing this morning, needing to sort out path. They said they might come in if that gets sorted out quickly. Um, yeah, been married for 13 years and thankful to God for that. And uh, probably maybe before I get into the sharing this morning, as Tony has said, I lead the coach program in the Grand Western part of Sydney. The coach program, and I know probably Tony has talked about it, is all about raising mentors and raising disciples of Jesus Christ, mobilizing them to journey with people who are doing it tough in life. Uh, so it's about you and I being trained to walk with someone. Actually, yesterday we had one of those trainings, uh, and I know some of us from this church have been trained. Oh, we had Sunil yesterday in the training. Uh, uh, just going through the training so that eventually we match you up with somebody who needs a friend. And this friend, all they need probably is to you know, someone to talk to, someone to help them set goals, simple goals like budgeting, financial things, cooking, all these things. But as we do these things, we get to witness and be disciples of Jesus Christ. The beauty of the coach program so far, I think we've had more than seven, more than a thousand, maybe let me say a thousand people uh, who have been mentored by other Christians. 61% of these people have ended up in church communities. Because when most of the people that you're matched with are not necessarily people of Christian faith, but people who are really struggling. So if you really want to engage in that program, please talk to Tony. It's one of the greatest tools I think God has really brought in our region, in the Western region, just to disciple and to reach out to people who are doing it really tough. All right? Otherwise, I'm so thankful to be here this morning. Thank you, Tony, for asking me to share. This morning, really, uh, I know Wendy and Tony a little bit, not, maybe Tony a bit more because I work with Tony and Wendy as well, and uh, I think I really appreciate, and I know there are people that are really grounded in God's word, so I appreciate their confidence in me uh, this morning to come and share. It, it means a lot. That mean, I mean, he thought I could stand here and share God's word. It means a lot to me, Tony and Wendy, so I really, really appreciate that. Um, Something that is very interesting, my family and I have been here for the last three years, and so now we're in March, three years, three months actually, three years going three months, and when we came to Australia, just purely following God's call, one of the things that we used to do on Saturday, I don't know how we discovered the cafe here, but we used to come at the cafe here um, a lot on Saturdays, just sort of debrief, you know, how our journey is going, how we are, that's how we discovered this space, and... Um, we really loved it, Saturday morning, just coming at the cafe here. And interesting, one of those mornings we were having breakfast and then we met Neil. And uh, he got to introduce himself to us, who was curious, who are you? And started talking to us and then we realized he had been to Kenya. And uh, it was just an interesting journey. But I was just thinking this morning how God has a big sense of humor that I actually never thought. You know, three years ago when I was having, you know, coffee at the cafe that I'd actually stand here to share God's word. And, and that's the beauty of our God. Uh, so this morning I'm going to share from uh, John 14, 15 to 31. And I was sort of watching, last thanks, thanks to technology, I was watching your last week's message 
Tony sharing, and that was really good. Um, and the thing that really the Lord put in my heart this week as I was studying that text was God's love language. And we are going to be looking deeper into that. And just maybe because I'm a, I've done a bit of uh, studies around the Bible, gone to a theological school, I was sort of reflecting on the emphasis of that particular portion of scripture. Thank you for reading so well for us. I did a bit of appreciation of the context in terms of what maybe Tony shared last week and just digging deep into what was the principle behind what Jesus was trying to share with his disciples before he left. Yeah, he was telling them, uh, don't be troubled. I mean, uh, Tony talked about that last week. And I was just doing a bit of appreciation about that scripture. I actually did tell my kids this week, uh, let's read this portion of scripture together. Sometimes I just like to hear what God is saying in a, in a portion, you know, even through the eyes of my own children. And I remember telling them, let's read this portion. Read it, read it loud, and ask them, what do you think Jesus is trying to share? What is, what is the heart of Christ? So I got to discuss that with my kids as well. And I know... Most Bibles describe that portion of scripture with the title, The Promise of the Holy Spirit, which I agree on completely, The Promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I believe there are two connected principles in that portion of scripture. Two principles, one which is of obedience, and the other part, the fact that we have the power to obey through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is saying, if you love me, obey my commands, but I'm not going to leave you without the power to obey. So that's what we are going to be looking at this morning, because the overarching thought, I think the main thought in that portion of scripture is really about obedience. So allow me to pray before I proceed. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your grace, and I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your, that you are truth. Jesus Christ, you say that you are truth. And you are the son of the living God, and on which you say that your church will be built on this rock, you being the son of the living God, and that the gates of hell will not prevail. This morning, I ask of you, Lord, that you would open the word to us, open the scriptures to us. Let them come alive, alive in our hearts, like the man that journeyed with you on the road to Emmaus, Lord, as you spoke, it's, they say that, you know, the word burned like fire within them. As you broke the bread, Lord, they had such an, a revelation of who you are. And I pray this morning, God, that you would use my mouth to speak your word this morning the way you want it spoken. And that, Lord, as these sins last in our hearts, Father, we would hear from you, Lord, and in, in return we would obey you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Last week, uh, Tony actually mentioned something when I was, I actually watched this way later after I had prepared my sermon, and Tony mentioned about the five languages of love. I don't know how many people have read the book, The Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. How many of us have read that? Yeah, really interesting. And uh, so when we're talking about God's love language, when I, was share, when I was preparing this sermon, God said, I have a language. It's not just you people that have languages of love. I also have a language of love. And that's why that portion of scripture starts with verse 15. Uh, verse 15, let me just go back. Verse 15 saying, if you love me, you keep my commands. 
God said, I have a love language. We all have our own love languages. We like our partners to know them. We like our friends to know them. Because when they speak our love language, somehow it tickles something within us. You get, happy, when you, you get really excited when someone does something and they just get you. You just got me. That word of affirmation just got me. That touch just got me. You know, that, that work of service, for those of us, it's who is work of service, you know, you just got me. And for those of us, maybe if your love language is words of affirmation and somebody is trying all the time to touch you, you're going like, you're not getting me. But God has a love language. And for me, I think what really, as I was sharing this, as I was going through this portion of scripture this morning and as I share with you, I'm actually so glad that Tony asked me to share this. This is something I wouldn't say otherwise. Because I've been going through a season in my own life and as Tony asked me to share on this portion of scripture, God began to deal with things in my life that I have been struggling with for a few months. Actually, I feel like Tony was just sent to go by God to ask me to share this part of scripture so that it can expose my own areas that I need to work on. So this morning, as I, I share with you, I'm sharing from a position of I'm learning. I'm actually learning. God says, if you love me, keep my commands. But what is obedience? And we will go through the scriptures as they've been read this morning. But what is obedience and what does the Bible say about it? I'll, I'll go more of a textual sermon than a, an expository kind of sermon. So I, I look at other portions of scripture. And one of the things that really hit my heart as I was reading this part of scripture is that obedience is actually acting in full agreement with God. What is obedience? It is when we act in full agreement with God. Obedience is not saying, I will do. Obedience happens when we do. Not I will do. Obedience is when we do. And that's why God is saying, if you love me, you will do something about it. And I, we even use this phrase on people many times. If you loved me, you wouldn't do that. Don't we use them? If you really loved me, you wouldn't say that. And God this morning is saying, if you really love me, you would actually obey my commands. And this portion of scripture it really helps us to hit, hit this home. In Matthew 21, 28, we have the parable of the two sons. And this is what Jesus said. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the son said, I will not. He answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the, the, same, the same thing. He answered, I will. But he did not go. But he did not go. Ah. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. The one who said, I will not, but did it, was the one who did what the father wanted. Then Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And I know this portion of scripture 
the context may have been different because Jesus was dealing with something different. But the principle was a principle of obedience. It sort of helps us to appreciate obedience from God's point of view. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, obey my word. You, you read those, you know, it, it sort of recurs in that passage that we have read this morning. I mean, there's, I guess even for those of us who have children, there's always no point of having a child say they will do something and then they don't do it. If the child comes to you and says, you tell them, please do this. Yeah, 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 I'm going to do that, mom. I'm, I'm fine, I'll do it. And then they don't do it, so what is the point? But can you imagine if a child gives an excuse? I'm not feeling well today, mom. I don't feel like doing that. And then you come back and they did what they said they probably wouldn't have done. You go like, oh, you obeyed me. And that is what uh, Jesus was trying to share here. That obedience is therefore not just agreeing with God. Because I think, even for me, we agree with God on so many levels. We read his word and we agree. But God wants us to go beyond agreeing on what he says, about what he says, but act in full agreement with him. That word acting is so, so important when it comes to obedience. People say love word, the love word is a verb word, and so is obedience. It's a verb word. But what does obedience do? Obedience reveals our love life with Jesus. It reveals our love life with Jesus. Look at all those portions of scripture we've read this morning. If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Matthew 12:50 says whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother in other words if you do the will of the father you are closer to Jesus he's saying that for you you are my brother you are my sister that you are the person i consider family but isn't it amazing that the sovereign lord this is what really hit me as I was reading this portion of scripture. Isn't it amazing that the sovereign Lord, all-sufficient one, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has left room and has an appreciation of our love for him. I mean, believers, my brothers and sisters, imagine the all-sufficient God who is sovereign, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. I don't understand why God says, if you love me. If you love me. Why would God even ask us to love him? Why would he need our love? If you love me. Obey my commands. That really for me hit home. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Obedience is an outward expression of our intimacy with God. If we have an obedience problem, 
we have a love problem. If we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem. Obedience is our moment of truth. Obedience is our moment of truth. Because it tells us all about what we know about God or the revelation that we've had about him. This morning I was thinking, I probably know Tony a little bit. And if Tony asks me for $100, and then he says, oh, Emma, I need $100, uh, I'll, give you at the end, I'll, I'll give you back at the end of the week. I would not think twice. Why wouldn't I think twice about it? Because I've worked with Tony. To a good extent, I and appreciate his integrity and his work with God. And I've learned and I've seen. So $100 with Tony, okay. Pretty sure he'll give me back at the end of the week, as he said. But if Tony walked in the streets and randomly asked someone for $100 and said, oh, excuse me, excuse me, please help me with $100 I'm going to give you back at the end of the week. The person might hesitate. Why? Because they don't know Tony. They don't know Tony. So they can't just act in obedience to what Tony is asking of. So my obedience says of what I have come to know of somebody. My obedience says of what I have come to know of somebody. You wouldn't you do, you, most of you probably have seen me today for the first time. So if I ask for $100, mm-mm, you have to know me a bit more to go like, oh, I know Emma. I probably can trust that he would. So when, I, when we talk about obedience, it speaks of what we have come to know of God. John writing says, we know that we have come to know him. Sort of the same that we are reading this morning. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We know we have come to know him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, back to what we are reading in John 14, if anyone obeys his word, what, what is, what's, what's going on at that point? The love for God is truly made complete in them. The love for God. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. If we know God loves us and he cares, and if we know he can be trusted, if we've come to know him as faithful, as loving as he, as, and that his promises are true, probably we wouldn't, we wouldn't question his directives in his word. Because even when God asks you to do something and it hurts, because sometimes when we walk in obedience, it will hurt you to the core. There are things that God has asked me in obedience. I mean, there's some, okay, pretty easy. God might ask you to forgive somebody who's really, really, really hurt you. And it hurts 
and it pains. And the Lord might ask you, and I don't want you to go to them and tell them how they hurt you. Leave it to me. Don't go to them. Don't tell them how they've hurt you. Just forgive them as I've forgiven you. It will really hurt you. Because sometimes we want people to know how much they've hurt us. But God is saying, let it go. Leave it to me. It might hurt you. But what have you come to know of, of God as you do that? I know him as a vindicator. I know him as a God who restores. As a, I know him as a God of compassion. And if I know those things about God, I will obey him. So when you come to know him, you keep his commands and you obey his word. And I just want us to look at a few examples this morning. I'll just give two examples. And James talk, talks of them. In James 2, 21 to 26, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did because Abraham believed. Then his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. And what did Jesus say? Uh, the, you remember the portion we read earlier about the two sons? Jesus said the prostitutes are getting into the kingdom before you. It wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And we can apply this uh, portion of scripture in many ways. That when we believe, our faith is made complete by our own actions. When we believe who God says he is, and when we've come to know him, our faith is made complete by what we do. I remember when my, the day by Nana died, and that was just probably a month before we left to come this, this way. And I was, indulge me here just a little bit. And I remember it was during her funeral. Um, and I was seated there thinking about her and just looking at her casket. And I was so, you know, taken away by thoughts. And the Spirit of God spoke to me at that point. He said, do you see your nana? I said, yeah. Her body, do you see her body? Yes. He says, as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deed is dead. I said, Lord, really now? Like, really now, Lord? But you know, my nana was such a God-loving woman. He was a first generation of Christian, and I'm glad that even in her death, that God would still be using her life to speak to me. She said, you see, Emma, when people believe me, and leave it at that. They're just like your nana in that casket. When they believe me and leave it at that point, they're just like that. They're just like that. Because as a body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without deeds. They're just like that. But God is asking us to move beyond that space. You know, just like that. We believe We believe, 
And God said, I need people to move beyond believing to actually acting. I mean, how many of us believe it's good to forgive? I believe it's good to forgive. I believe it's good to love my neighbor. I believe. But we never move into action, into what actually loving others. The values that you have this morning as Tony was praying about them. Oh, you know what? I believe totally that we are supposed to make disciples. And we can talk about how we believe about making disciples. I believe you're supposed to make disciples. But until we step outside and begin to act on that, all we do is believe. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, don't just believe. Obey what I've said. Go out literally and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Again, Jesus said, don't just, I don't just want disciples. I want you to teach them to obey. Obedience is our moment of truth. Abraham had to face a moment of truth. And that's why it's recorded in Hebrew. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I love verse 19. It says what? Abraham reasoned. Because faith and our belief and our obedience is not foolishness. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So I'm sure he had a moment. He didn't just wake up and go. He had a moment. Thought about God, where what God had said, what God had told him, how he had come to know God. And then he said, hmm, I reasoned that God could actually even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He believed God and his faith was made complete by what he did. So what did God do? God called him my friend. My friend. You're my friend. Abraham, you're my friend. Because how Abraham responded to that idea of him sacrificing his son was an expression of how much Abraham loved God. Why do, people, why do, do we call people friends? You don't just walk out in the street and say, you're my friend. Hey, friend, come. There are people you know, and they appreciate you, and they understand your love language, you call them friends. Because obedience is not foolishness. When we obey God, we are not being fools. And sometimes people think, oh, these Christians, no, we are not being fools. We are not fools. It is coming to that moment of our life when we reason righteously and choose to act according to the truth of God's word. To the world, we look foolish. It looks foolish not to want to revenge. It looks foolish not to want to retaliate. It looks foolish to do things that, you know, but when we choose truth and act in on it, God considers that as our, as our love for him. You remember when the children of Israel, and I know, I think I remember Tony shared this during uh, the NCP, uh, the New Church Paradigm video that Tony did. Uh, and he talked about the children of Israel uh, 
when the children of God decided they can conquer, they, they, that, they, that they can't conquer the promised land, God said they showed me contempt. I think the opposite, I think, I'm thinking right now, it wasn't in my notes, I think the opposite of us loving God is contempt. You see, they showed me contempt because they knew the truth. They knew I was going to give them the land, but they chose to say and act otherwise and say they showed me contempt. Rahab faced a moment of truth. Before this, and that's why James writes about these two people. James writes about Abraham and Rahab. Can you imagine Abraham and Rahab in the same portion of scripture? He writes about Rahab. He says, before the spies lay down for the night, this is what Joshua records. This is what Rahab did. She went up on the roof and said to them, these are the spies, I know. He said, I know. I know something. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt uh, and what you did to Sihon and all those kings of the Amorites. And then verse 11, it says what? When we heard of it, our hearts melted with fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, this is not even a believer, a heathen, totally. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now, Abraham, uh, Rahab, being who the person she was, knew this about God, but what did she do without truth? She chose to act in obedience. She acted, and it pleased God when she obeyed, and her family lineage was saved. Obedience. It is how we show our love to him. We obey him. God has a love language. And the good thing is, it's not guesswork. He has said, if you love me, you obey my commands. But when we all think about obedience, the other part of that portion is this. When we all think about obedience, it feels weighty. How could we possibly obey God? We know that being a believer is like swimming upstream. You're always doing what everybody else is not doing. The great news is, we have great news. We are not without help. And that's why that portion of scripture, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He promises, he talks about obedience, but yet he says, but I'll send you a helper. I will not be with you. You will not be alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You don't have to do obedience on your own terms. Truth be told, if you try, it's hard. The things that God will ask you to do in the scripture, they are hard. You don't want to try them on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus sets a perfect example. And then in the same portion of scripture, we get to see that there is a reward. The Holy Spirit is empowers, empowers us to obey. We are empowered to obey. It is not, Jesus is not asking you and I to do something that he doesn't know we can do. I remember my mom used to tell me, oh, you know, clean up, maybe clean up the kitchen or tidy up the kitchen. And then I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not asking you to do something that I can't do myself. You know? 
Jesus is not asking us to do something that he, we can't do. The Holy Spirit empowers us to obey. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father. He will send you another advocate to help you and to be with you. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then verse 25, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will teach you and train you to obey, and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. We are not without help. Amen? We are not without help. You know, I don't know how many of us have struggled with sin. I have struggled with sin. I've struggled with stuff in my life as a believer. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.3 that we have everything we need to live a godly life. And if you ask me, what is the everything that I need? I need the Holy Spirit of God to live a godly life. Look at this. We are not without power. Romans 8, 12 to 14, what does it say? Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. This is the NLT version. For if you live by, it, by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death, it's the Holy Spirit, he helps us to walk in obedience. He helps us. He's our advocate. He helps us to put to death the deeds of our sinful nature. It's a struggle. He is our advocate. He supports. He cares. He's our defense attorney. He provides counsel. He makes us wiser than our enemies. He's a spirit of truth because we, live in, uh, we are living in our lives trying to navigate through lies in this world. There's so, there's so much lies. And sometimes the areas are so gray. They are so gray. You don't even know when you moved to the lie. But the Bible says that he is a spirit of truth. He helps us to obey. And that's why the Bible also says that as many as are led by him, the Holy Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Church, the Holy Spirit will empower us to obey. He will teach us. So many people actually, including myself, for the longest of time, I didn't know why I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. There's been a deception around the world sometimes because you see, you know, all the drama sometimes around, you know, people being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Movements that have come, you know, around Pentecost and, you know, and I mean, we'll be going into Pentecost after Easter. Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit of God? Because we need to walk in obedience. You may have, yes, even the gift of speaking in tongues, which is really a gift. Not everybody has it. We may you may have the gift of the speaking in tongues. God has given me that gift of speaking in tongues. But it's not about me speaking in tongues. It's about me walking in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no point of me speaking in tongues if I'm walking in disobedience. It doesn't make sense. And I look at this. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. What was prophesied? I'll give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you, from your heart, from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then what does God say? Don't you find this so beautiful? I will put my spirit in you so that what? So that I can move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Hallelujah. I will put my spirit in you so that you so that you speak in tongues and to do some drama. No, 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 no. So that I can move you to follow my decrees. That's why Jesus was talking about us not being left as orphans. He will give us the spirit. He will pour his spirit. He will send his spirit to move us to follow his commands and to keep his laws. I love him, the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus becomes our perfect example. And this is what it says in the concluding part of that portion. I will not say much more to you. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. And I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So Jesus becomes our perfect example in two ways. First, he says, the devil has no hold on me. He has no hold over me. Because many times, the reason we can't obey is because the enemy has a hold on us. But Jesus is saying, he has no hold on me. When I choose to obey, I obey. He has no hold. That's why he would tell uh, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Don't get me out of the cross. I am going to obey to death. James says that we are tempted when we are dragged by our own evil desires. Let me just share maybe as I come to a conclusion one of the examples of my own life in how this has really affected me. Because we are all tempted by our own evil desires. For a long time, and this is still something that I work on consciously and by the help of the Spirit, I had this insatiable desire for praise and attention that would often lead me to please other people. We can take it all back to our upbringing. We all have stuff. But you know, for me, I don't like blaming people. I blame sin, because then I know what to deal with, how to deal with sin. I don't deal, my mother, my father, my who, I don't blame the people. Or friends, no, 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 no. Because when we do that, we run away from the consequence, the, the sin issue at hand. Because even when people hurt you, they hurt you because they are broken by sin, okay? So don't, don't go into digging deep into who did what to you. Square sin with Jesus on the cross. He will give you freedom. And I had this insatiable desire to please people. And we all know nothing can get you out of God's will as fast as pleasing others. If you want to get out of God's will quickly, just start pleasing people. So caught in one of those moments of truth, like Abraham or Rahab, I would often compromise to please people rather than to obey God. Because I want people to be happy with me. So, you know, whether there are discussions, debates going on, what we need to do, I would compromise. I would know God is saying do this, but I'd compromise so that people can stay happy with me. Because I, I have this hunger for attention and praise. And then I realized that I was giving up my freedom in Christ. Jesus had to show me, you're giving up your freedom in me for the praise of others. And the underlying issue 
was not praise and attention, was that I, I wanted to feel valued and appreciated. And I came to a moment of truth, reading the scripture, going and understanding that I'm accepted in the beloved. I am loved by God. In fact, the Bible says, I am holy and dearly loved. I am valued by God, and he is pleased with me. I was like, oh, really? So why do I want all this? And I got all this. So at that moment, I came to a moment of truth. Because the devil had that hold on me. But I found my truth and freedom in Christ. And when the power of his spirit dealt with that unrighteous desire in me, the enemy, therefore, has no more hold on me. He might try to tempt me. Once in a while, he's trying to tempt me. But I remember, you have no hold on me. I will not give in to the praise of men. So when Jesus is saying the prince of this world has no hold on him, it means he has no unrighteous desires that the enemy can use as a bait for him to disobey. He has no unrighteous desires. He was ready to die. It's important that we ask God in our journey of obedience because these things cause us to walk in disobedience. There's a verse that I've recently come to love. I don't think I put it up there. Sorry. How do I go back? There's a verse that I've really come to love. It's in Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. The world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. Meaning, the cross of Christ must put to death everything the world offers me. And I am empowered to die to that which, is, which I'm tempted to do in the flesh. And that only happens by the, Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus came so that we can learn what loving God looks like. I think they had put what loving the, loving the Father looks like. Pardon my English there. Learning what loving God looks like. He came so that the world may learn that I love the Father. That's how he concludes that chapter. And do exactly what my Father commands me. I had this moment when I was preparing. This is how I was telling you. I was so thankful Tony asked me to prepare this message. Because God was just speaking to me in things I had never seen before. Uh, Jesus loved the Father so much that he obeyed him. He wanted to set that example of obedience to us. He wanted the world to know he loves the Father. And because he loved the Father, he died for us. And at this moment of John 3.16, saying, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But guess what? But the Son, the Son, the Son, Jesus Christ, so loved the Father that he obeyed him. So loved the Father that he obeyed him. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Even when it pained him, he kept saying, not my will, but your will. 
And we are a product of that obedience. You and I are here today because we are a product of the son's obedience to the father. Because he loved him. And I can tell you the world today will be blessed as a church if we obey. There are people like you and I in this world who are just waiting for us to obey. And they will become a product of our obedience if we become true witnesses of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, you know, he, they are filled with the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. How do we become witnesses? We are witnesses when we walk in obedience. People can witness. They're like, oh, he actually forgave her. That's a witness. Okay, he, they didn't retaliate. Oh, okay, that's, that's not normal. Okay, they seem a bit too, why are you happy and joyful? That's not normal. You see, so we are witnesses everywhere because we are walking in obedience to God's word. But that only happens because we have power. And finally, obedience is rewarded. Yeah, I say for, for, for the son so loved the father that he obeyed him. I just loved that revelation when I was, when I was preparing this, uh, this scripture, uh, this, this sermon. Finally, that's my last slide. Obedience is rewarded. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And guess what? When you obey the teachings of God, God says, my, Jesus says, my father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Oh, can you imagine God the father, God the son, God the spirit making their home in your heart? I want that. I really desire that. Because God continues then to reveal himself to you. He makes a dwelling in your heart. And you get to know him more intimately. And I believe maybe then at that point, God can actually say, oh, my friend. My friend. You, my desire in life is to get to that point like Abraham. That God would actually say, I want to do something. But it's hard for me to do this unless I tell Abraham. Like, I can't do things. You know when you have that friend who you don't want them to know you did something? Like, because it will disappoint them? That's how God lived with Abraham. Like, I can't do that unless I talk to Abraham first about it. Imagine that level of intimacy with God. And that's the desire he has. And I keep saying, we can talk of Abraham then. What about now? Well, when we're in the disposition of grace. So I don't know how your Monday changes. And I don't know how God is, what God is saying to you. But my, my encouragement to you this morning, obey what you already know to be God's will. Go through the scriptures and obey what you know to be God's will. I believe this morning the stuff that God is saying to you through this word, just like he's been speaking to me, and there are areas of obedience that God has been requiring from you. Align your words, your actions, and your choices to God's truth. And don't just believe, act on it. I hear you have a members meeting this afternoon. What is, it, what is God asking this church to do? What is he asking you as a congregation to do? Where is he leading you? Where is he moving you to? Are there spaces that are scary? Things that will probably shake you a little bit? What is God saying? Move in obedience. What has God asked you at a personal level? What brokenness is in you that he's asking you to deal with? 
What promise has God asked you to put into practice? What has God asked your family to do? What is God asking you as a church and as a community to do? Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to learn from you. Thank you for reminding us this morning that you have a love language. Eternal God, sovereign God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The God who says that you hold the breath of our life. That you are the author of life. <laughs> you say you're the author of life. And yet, Lord Jesus Christ, even in your greatness and your sovereignty, God, that you give us an opportunity to love you. You say, if you love me. And yet, Lord, also, you don't even demand it. You say it's a choice. That's why you say, if. I pray, God, this morning that you would help us to choose to love you and that we would choose to obey you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. I bless you for them. I thank you because they've heard from you and they've heard of you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower them by your spirit, Lord, to obey you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this morning that if there's anyone among us this morning, Lord, that who doesn't know you or have a personal relationship with you, that first, Lord, they would come to you as Lord and King and give their lives to you, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the transition in this church. I thank you for where you're leading them into, Lord. Leading them out of into something else. And I pray, Lord, that they would get a hold of what you're leading them into. And that, Lord, there will be no contempt, but that, God, they would love you and that they would obey you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Please, if you haven't given your life to Christ, talk to Tony, talk to the elders of the church. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the beginning of everything. Amen? Amen.